So it's been about two weeks since I've dropped an episode, and I apologize for that. If I'm not dropping an episode every single week, then nine times out of 10, it's because of my health struggles. And I have had a hellacious two weeks. I may tell you about that on another episode because there are some valuable things that I've been learning regarding walking with God through chronic pain, sickness, stress, anxiety, and even some depression. On this episode, we're going to dive back into J.C. Ryle's outstanding book, Thoughts for Young Men. Specifically, we'll be looking at part two, which is all about the dangers that young men need to look out for. The dangers that young men need to look out for. But even if you're an older man, this is really, really good stuff that you need to take heed to and even be teaching to the next generation, like with your sons and your grandsons. I'm going to read what J.C. Ryle wrote and then maybe make some comments of my own along the way. We'll see how it goes. But I want to say thanks for tuning in, my brothers. It means a lot. I'm glad you're here. And here we go. Listening to the Grizz Podcast. We're here to guide, encourage, and equip you on your journey with Christ. Now, here's your host, the man who once murdered a groundhog with a baseball bat, Jason George. Welcome back, my brothers. Let me give you a little background here on J.C. Ryle, John Charles Ryle, so you know who this guy is that I'm going to be reading from. He lived from 1816 to 1900, and he was an outstanding athlete, excelling in cricket and rowing. But when he was struck down with a serious chest infection for the first time in 14 years, he turned to his Bible in prayer. Then, one Sunday, arriving late to church, he was in time to hear the reading of Ephesians chapter 2. As he listened, he felt that the Lord was speaking directly to his soul. His eyes were opened when he heard verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Right there, he was converted through hearing the word of God without any other comments from a preacher. That's all it took. He heard just that verse of scripture and the spirit of God did his saving work in J.C. Ryle. He ultimately ended up uh, in the ministry in the Church of England he eventually became the first bishop of Liverpool and was one of the most influential evangelical clergymen of the 19th century. He was a popular platform speaker and a prolific track writer. His books are still widely read across the globe to this day. And his successor in Liverpool described him as the man of granite with the heart of a child. Over the last few years, I said this on the last episode, over the last few years, J.C. Ryle's writings have had a deep and transformative impact upon my Christian life. Nothing that J.C. Ryle writes is cookies and milk. There is no fluff. It is just all solid meat and it hits you hard, dude. It gives you the roundhouse kick to the face. God has greatly used his writings to wake me up, to convict me, to guide me, and to motivate me to become a more focused and holier man. So this is part two. 
It is entitled Dangers, Dangers That Young Men Need to Look Out For. There's a link in the show notes to order this outstanding book. He starts out and he says, There are some special dangers that young men need to be warned against. One danger to young men is pride. Pride. I know well that all souls are in fearful peril, old or young. It doesn't matter. All have a race to run, a battle to fight, a heart to humble, a world to overcome, a body to keep under control, a devil to resist. And we may very well say, who is sufficient for these things? But still, every age and condition has its own peculiar snares and temptations, and it is well known to them. He that is forewarned and forearmed, if I can only persuade you to be on your guard against the dangers I'm going to name, I am sure I shall do your souls an essential service. Pride is the oldest sin in the world. Indeed, it was before the world. Satan and his angels fell by pride. They were not satisfied with their first situation and status. Thus, pride stocked hell with its first inhabitants. Pride threw Adam out of paradise. He was not content with the place God assigned him. He tried to raise himself and fell. Thus, sin, sorrow, and death entered in by pride. Pride sits in all of our hearts by nature. We are born proud. Pride makes us rest content with ourselves, think we are good enough as we are. It keeps us from taking advice. It refuses the gospel of Christ to turn everyone to his own way. But pride never reigns anywhere so powerfully as in the heart of a young man. How common is it to see young men with big heads, high-minded, and impatient of any counsel? How often they are rude and uncourteous to all around them, thinking they are not valued and honored as they deserve. How often will they not stop to listen to a hint of wisdom from an older person? They think that they know everything. They're full of conceit of their own wisdom. They think elderly people, and especially their relatives, are stupid and dull and slow. (laughs) Some of you are like, man, I have kids like this. They want no teaching or instructions themselves. They understand all things. It almost makes them angry to be spoken to. Like young horses, they cannot bear the least control. They must be independent and have their own way. They seem to think like those whom Job mentioned. You are the people and wisdom will die with you. And all this, J.C. Ryle says, is pride. It all goes down to pride. I see this. I saw it in myself when I was younger. I see it in this younger generation. I've seen it in my own kids. I know some of you dads, you deal with it. It's like, I wish they would just listen to me. I'm trying to help them. And they look at us with this face like we're the biggest idiots. And it takes years, even decades sometimes for us to realize that our parents and our grandparents were some of the wisest people ever, right? J.C. Ryle goes on and he says, Rehoboam was such a person who despised the counsel of the old experienced men who stood before his father and listened to the advice of the young men of his own generation. He lived to reap the consequences of his folly. There are many like him. The prodigal son in the parable was also such a person who needed to have his share of the inheritance so he could set himself up in the lifestyle that he desired. He could not submit to live quietly under his father's roof, but would go into a far country and be his own master. 
Like the little child that will leave its mother's hand and walk alone, he soon feels the string, I'm sorry, the sting for his folly. He became wiser when he had to eat husk with the swine, but there are many like him. Young men, I beseech you earnestly, beware of pride. Two things are said to be very rare sights in the world. One is a young man that is humble, and the other is an old man that is content. I fear that this is only too true. Do not be proud of your own abilities, your own strength, your own knowledge, your own appearance, your own cleverness. Do not be proud of yourself and your endowments of any kind. It all comes from not knowing yourself in the world. The older you grow and the more you see, the less reason you will find for being proud. Ignorance and inexperience are the pedestal of pride. Ignorance and inexperience are the pedestal of pride. Once the pedestal is removed, pride will soon come down. Man, is this ever the truth, dude. The older I get, I'm almost 49 years old the more I realize how much I don't know, how foolish, how ignorant I truly am. I realize more and more how finite I am, how weak I am. J.C. Ryle goes on, he says, remember how often Scripture sets before us the excellence of a humble spirit. How strongly we are warned. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Romans 12, 3. How plainly we are told. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. 1 Corinthians 8, 2. How strict is the command. Clothe yourselves with humility, Colossians 3.12. And again, clothe yourselves with humility, 1 Peter 5.5. This is the garment of which many seem not to have so much as even a rag. Humility, humility. You, this is me talking, you think you're godly. You think, young man, that you're so super spiritual, on fire for Christ. Are you humble? Are you humble? And humble, humility, it doesn't mean weakness. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. Are you humble? Because if you're truly Christ-like, then you're humble. Think of the great example our Lord Jesus Christ leaves us in this respect. He washed the feet of his disciples, saying, You should do as I have done for you. John 13, 15. It is written, Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Talking about Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Jesus humbled himself. And again, it says in the scripture, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8. Surely to be proud is to be more like the devil and fallen Adam than to be like Christ. Arrogant proud, this is me talking, arrogant, proud, cocky, big-headed Christians. Dude, that's like an oxymoron because Christian means follower of Christ, imitators of Christ, right? We are following the way. We are following his example. Arrogant, proud, cocky, big-headed run your mouth a lot, you know it all. Dude, that's an oxymoron if you're a follower of Christ. We are to be humble 
We don't know it all. Young men, you don't know it all. You are not as smart, as wise, or as strong as you think you are. And whatever gifts and abilities and skills and talents and strengths and smarts that you have, they're all a gift from God and they can be taken from you in an instant. Think of the wisest man that ever lived. I mean, Solomon. See how he speaks of himself as a little child, as one who does not know how to carry out his duties or manage for himself. 1 Kings 3.7 That was a very different spirit from his brother Absalom, who thought himself equal to anything. If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. That's what Absalom said. 2 Samuel 15, 4. He was cocky. That was a very different spirit from his brother uh, Adonijah, who exalted himself saying, I will be king. 1 Kings 1, 5. Humility was the beginning, listen, of Solomon's wisdom. Humility was the beginning of Solomon's wisdom. He writes it down as his own experience. Proverbs 26, 12, he says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Young men, take heart. The scriptures just quoted. Do not be too confident in your own judgment. Stop being so sure that you are always right. And others are always wrong. Don't trust your own opinion when you find it contrary to that of older men, and especially to that of your own parents. Age gives experience and therefore deserves respect. It is a mark of Elihu's wisdom in the book of Job that Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. Job 32, 4. Elihu, one of Job's friends, waited to speak because he realized everyone else was older than him. He had respect for his elders and what they may know because they had lived longer. Humility. And afterwards, he said, I am young in years and you are old. And that is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. That was from Elihu, Job 32, 6 and 7. Humility and silence are beautiful graces in young people. Never be ashamed of being a learner. Jesus was one at 12 years old. He was found in the temple. He was, quote unquote, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Luke 2, 46. The wisest men would tell you they are always learners and are humbled to find, after all, how little they know. The great Sir Isaac Newton used to say that he felt himself no better than a little child who had picked up a few precious stones on the shore of the sea of knowledge. Young men, if you would be wise, if you would be happy, remember the warning I give you. Beware of pride. Man, this is so good. This is so true. This is so needed. Let me grab a sip of my coffee. Number two danger that he warns young men of is the love of pleasure. The love of pleasure. Youth is the time when our passions are strongest. And like unruly children, cry most loudly for indulgence. Youth is the time when we have generally our most health and strength. Death seems far away. And to enjoy ourselves in this life seems to be everything. Youth is the time when most people have few earthly cares or anxieties to take up their attention. And all these things help to make young men think of nothing except pleasure. Quote, unquote, I serve lust and pleasures. That is the true answer many a young man should give if asked, 
Whose servant are you? That's so good. Who do you really serve, young men? Who's your real master? For most young men, lust and pleasure. That's who rules them. Young men, time would not permit me to tell you all the fruits this love of pleasure produces and all the ways in which it may do you harm. Why should I speak of carousing, partying, drinking, gambling, movie going, dancing, the like? There are few to be found who don't know something of these things by bitter experience. And these are only instances, all things that give a feeling of excitement for the time, all things that drown thought and keep the mind in a constant whirl, whirl, all things that please the senses and delight the flesh. These are the sort of things that have mighty power at your time of life. And they owe their power to the love of pleasure. Be on your guard. Do not be like those of whom the Apostle Paul speaks in 2 Timothy 3, 4. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do not be like them. Remember what I say. If you would cling to earthly pleasures, these are the things which murder souls. There is no sure way to get a seared conscience and a hard heart towards the things of God than to give way to the desires of the flesh and mind. It seems like nothing at first, but it tells in the long run. Consider what Peter says. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 1 Peter 2.11 They destroy the soul's peace, break down its strength, lead it into captivity, and make it a slave. Did you hear that, young men? Your sinful desires for just pleasure and what you want, your self-gratification, it will destroy the peace of your soul. It will break down your inner strength. It will lead you into captivity. It'll make you a slave. Consider what Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, put it to death. Colossians 3, 5. He goes on and he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Galatians 5.24 Once the body was a perfect home for a soul. Now it is all corrupt and disordered and needs constant watching. It is a burden to the soul, not a helper, a hindrance, not an assistant. It may become a useful servant, but it is always a bad master. That's so good. He's saying, your body is always a useful servant, but it's always a bad master. Do not listen and obey the desires of your flesh. Your flesh, your body, it is a useful servant. It's always a bad master. The master must be the Lord Jesus Christ. What he says in his written word, the Bible, his commands that's what must rule us. You say, well, that goes contrary to what I feel like doing. That's the point. That's the point. Let God be in charge. You decide that. Let his word, his commands be the ruler over you. You decide that. You say, yeah, but you know, it just feels a lot better when I do what my flesh wants to do, man. Hey, listen, it feels better now but it won't later. Listen to what J.C. Ryle said right there. It destroys the soul's peace. It breaks down your strength. It leads you into captivity. It will make you a slave. Consider again the words of Paul. He says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Romans 13, 14. These says Leighton, he's quoting another commentary, 
are the words, the very reading of which gave Augustine a great conviction of heart, causing an immoral young man to be turned into a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. That was Augustine. He was a very immoral young man, but God had wrecked his wrecked him and changed him. Young men, I wish this might be the case with all of you. Remember again, if you cling to earthly pleasures, they will all be unsatisfying, empty and pointless. Like the locusts of the vision and revelation, they seem to have crowns on their heads, but like the same locusts, you will find they have stings, real stings in their tails. All that glitters is not gold. All that tastes sweet is not good. All that pleases for a while is not pleasure. I can't help but, as I read this, think especially of pornography. And I talk about that subject a lot here on the Grizz podcast. All that glitters is not gold. All that tastes sweet is not good. All that pleases for a while is not real pleasure. He goes on and he says, Go and take your fill of earthly pleasures, if you will. You will never find your heart satisfied with them. There will always be a voice within crying like the leech in Proverbs 30, 15. Give, give. There is an empty place there, which nothing but God can fill. You will find, as Solomon did by experience, that earthly pleasures are but a meaningless, show-promising contentment but bringing a dissatisfaction of spirit, gold-plated caskets, exquisite to look at on the outside, but full of ashes and corruption within. Be wise in your youth. Write the word poison on all earthly pleasures. The most lawful of them must be used in moderation. All of them are soul-destroying if you give them your heart. Pleasure must first have the guarantee that it is not sinful. Then it is to be enjoyed in moderation. This is so dang good. So what he's saying here is some pleasures are clearly... Hang on, I got to tell my dog to be quiet. He's snoring. Hey, Remy. Hey, man, I'm recording. You want to keep it down? All right. So what he's saying here is there are some things that in scripture are clearly forbidden, certain pleasures, you know, sleeping, having sex with your girlfriend, going to a strip club, um, trying to think what else, getting high, getting drunk, you know, but then he's like, okay, but there are other pleasures that God allows, but they need to be done with moderation. If they're not done with moderation, then you cross the line and you fall into sin and then they begin to have dominance, control over you. Uh, Alcohol is a good example. There's nothing in scripture that says that, you know, if you're of age and you're grown, that you can't have a glass of wine, that you can't have a drink. You can have a drink. Enjoy it. God has given you that to enjoy. But it must be done in moderation. And if you can't do it in moderation, and you always have to get a buzz on, get high, get drunk, get hammered, whatever you want to call it. Or if you get to the point where you're just like, I have to have it every day. I, I, I can't not have it. Then that's a problem. It must be done in moderation. He goes on and he says, and I will not shrink from warning all young men to remember the seventh commandment to beware of adultery and sexual immorality of all impurity of every kind. I fear that we don't very often speak on this part of God's law. But when I see how prophets and apostles have dealt with this subject, when I observe the open way in which the reformers of our own church denounced it, when I see the number of young men who walk in the wicked footsteps of Reuben and Hophni and Phinehas and Amnon, I, one, cannot with a good conscience hold my peace." The world becomes more wicked because of our failure to teach and preach on this commandment. Dang, he is on fire right here. He is saying the silence 
in churches, from pastors and youth pastors and Christian podcasters about sexual sin and God's standard and the dangers of sexual sin, the silence of it. Listen, the world becomes a more wicked place because of the silence. And like Martin Luther King Jr. says, dude, to remain silent is to be complicit with the sin. To sit back and do nothing and say nothing, you're guilty, man. You are to speak up, speak the truth, speak it in love. This is good. He goes on, he says, for my own part, I feel it would be false and unscriptural. And I feel it would be false and unscriptural delicacy in addressing men not to speak of that which is preeminently the young man's sin. What he's saying there is, he goes, I can't help it. I have to speak on this because this sin here, sexual sin, sexual lust, sexual temptation, this is preeminently the main thing that most young men are dealing with. You have to speak about this. Amen and amen. Dude, sometimes I get guys that give me pushback and they're like, why do you talk so much about porn and lust and sexual things? This right here, this is why. Because it is predominantly the main sin struggle that so many young men and older men are struggling with, and it's keeping them from fulfilling their God-given destiny, from being sought, from being light, from making an impact, from being the man that their wife needs, their kids need, their grandkids need, from stepping up in their church and being more active and doing something, from even some guys, they're like, I, I know that God's called me into the ministry, but I'm not going into the ministry because I have a secret uh, sexual addiction of some sort. Let's go on. Uh, Ryle says, The violation of the seventh commandment is the sin above all others that, as Hosea, Hosea says, takes away the understanding. Takes away the understanding. Hosea 4.11 It is the sin that leaves deeper scars upon the soul than any other sin that a man can commit. It is a sin that destroys thousands of young men in every age and has even overthrown a few of the saints of God in the past. Samson and David are fearful proofs. It is the sin that man dares to smile at and smooths over using the terms thrills, its love, uncontrollable passions, and natural desires. But it is the sin that the devil rejoices over, for he is the unclean spirit. And it is the sin that God abhors, and he declares he will judge. Hebrews 13.4 Young men, Flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Ryle says, If you love your life, flee from sexual immorality. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Ephesians 5.6 Flee from the opportunity of it, from the company of those who might draw you into it from the places where you might be tempted to do it. Read what our Lord says about it in Matthew 5, 28. He says, I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Be like the holy servant Job. I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Job, Job 31, 1. He goes on, he says, Flee from talking about it. Flee from talking about sexually perverted things. It is one of the things that ought not even be hinted about in conversation. You cannot even touch black grease without getting your hands dirty. Flee from the thoughts of it. Resist them. Destroy them. Pray against them. Make any sacrifice rather than give way to them. Imagination is the hotbed where the sin is too often hatched. Guard your thoughts and there will be little fear about your actions. So good right there. This is exactly what uh, the Apostle James talks about in his letter. It is the, the process of sin, how sin always begins in the heart with the desires. And then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. Most, most of you listening, you know that passage. But this is what Ryle is getting at. He says, flee from the thoughts of it, resist them, destroy them, pray against them. 
just don't don't let your imagination hatch sin. You've got to catch it in the early stages, the thoughts. When there's a trigger, a thought, a desire, catch it there, cut it off, kill it. Get away from it, get it away from you. Separate and prevent and replace. Go find something better. Consider the caution I have been giving. If you forget everything else, do not let this be forgotten. Man, this is good. That's pretty powerful. And J.C. Ryle's like, if you forget everything else I'm, I'm saying to you young men, do not forget this right here, what I'm telling you about sexual sin and the dangers of it. Number three, he says another danger to young men. I tell you what, we're going to get into number three in just a minute. Let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to go get a glass of water. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. If you're looking to cut porn out of your life, you need Covenant Eyes. And if you're trying to support your partner through their struggle with porn, you need Covenant Eyes too. When I found out about Chris's struggle with pornography, at the time I was devastated. I felt like the problem was me, like I wasn't enough. Still, I wanted to help Chris overcome this, but how could I help Chris recover when I had my own emotional wounds reopened every time he struggled with porn? Covenant Eyes woke me up and made me realize I was wrong. I was destroying my marriage and causing my wife a lot of pain. All right, here's how it works. Just get started by downloading the Covenant Eyes app and reach out to an ally to help you. An ally is someone non-judgmental who's been there for you before, like a sibling or a close friend. For me, that was my buddy Jeff. So periodically, your ally will receive a report of any online activity and any risky activity is called out in the report. Covenant Eyes creates a healthy space for spouses to heal. After Chris got Covenant Eyes, I knew Jeff would be getting those reports and helping Chris out when I couldn't. And that was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. Before Covenant Eyes, I often found myself feeling weak in tempting situations. But now, knowing that Jeff will know if I struggle, that's enough to give me the extra strength I need to win the fight. In the end, Covenant Eyes not only helped Chris heal, but it helped me heal too. We started to rebuild the trust in our relationship. He stopped hating himself. He became more confident and our relationship felt more honest and connected. Overall, it made a huge difference in our marriage. So sign up for Covenant Eyes and start your journey to becoming porn free today. All right, guys, I've said it before. Say it again, man. I've been a member of Covenant Eyes for many years, well over 15 years. I lost track. I don't even know how long, but, uh, I have it on all my devices, like right in front of me right now is my Mac computer and I have my iPhone here and then somewhere, uh, I think in my backpack, I have a MacBook Pro. On all of those devices, uh, I have Covenant Eyes installed. So I'm being monitored everywhere I go online and two of my friends, accountability partners get weekly reports. That is a huge help to me and uh, I highly recommend it. Dude, listen, go to CovenantEyes.com and sign up for it, get it on your devices, get it on your kids' devices, your teens' devices, because you need to know where your kids are going online. You need to be watching them. So if they're going somewhere they shouldn't, you can lovingly confront them and help them so nothing ever gets way out of hand. And uh, when you're at checkout at CovetedEyes.com, use the promo code GRIZZIN, G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N, GRIZZIN, and they're going to give you your first month completely free. All right, let's get back into J.C. Ryle, dangers to young men. This is the third danger he talks about. He says, another danger to young men is thoughtlessness, thoughtlessness. Not thinking is one simple reason why thousands of souls are thrown away forever into the lake of fire. Men will not consider, will not look ahead, will not look around them, will not reflect on the end of their present course and the sure consequences of their present days and wake up to find they are damned for a lack of thinking. This is so good, man. In other words, like think, think about what you're doing. Think about the path you're taking. Where is this going to lead? These decisions that you're making, think about down the road, the long run. Think about eternity. Young men, none are in more danger of this than yourselves. You know little of the perils around you, and so you are careless how you walk. 
You hate the trouble of serious, quiet thinking, and so you make wrong decisions and bring upon yourselves much sorrow. Young Esau had to have his brother stew, and he sold his birthright. He never thought how much he would want it in the future. Young Simeon, hang on, I can tell my dog to shut up again. Remy, dude, this is the second time I got to talk to you, man. Shh, okay? All right. I love having him in here, but, you know, he just, no respect, dude. He goes on, he says, Young Simeon and Levi had to avenge the rape of their sister Dinah and kill the Shechemites. They never considered how much trouble and anxiety they might bring on their father Jacob in his house. Job seems to have been especially afraid of this thoughtlessness among his children. It is written that when they had a feast and the quote-unquote period of feasting had run its course, Job would sin and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom, Job 1.5. So believe me, this world is not a world in which we can do well without thinking. At least of all, do well in the matter of your souls. Don't think, whispers Satan. Satan whispers to you, don't think. He knows that an unconverted heart is like a dishonest businessman's financial records. They will not bear close inspection. Consider your ways, says the word of God. Stop and think. Consider and be wise. The Spanish proverb says it well. Hurry comes from the devil. Just as men marry in a rush and then are miserable with their mate, so they make mistakes about their souls in a minute and then suffer for it for years. Just as a bad servant does wrong and then says, well, I never gave it a thought. So young men run into sin and then they say, I didn't think about it. It didn't look like sin to me. Not look like sin. What would you expect? Sin will not come to you saying, I am sin. It would do little harm if it did. Sin always seems good and pleasant and desirable at the time of commission. Oh, listen, get wisdom, get discretion. Remember the words of Solomon. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Proverbs 4, 26. He's saying to young men, Think, use your brain, think deeply, think deeply about the decisions you're making, where you're going, who you're hanging out with, what you're putting in your body, what you're going to do with your girlfriend on that date, the time that you have. Don't, don't waste it. Think about developing things for your career path or your ministry, whatever. Think, be a thinker, ponder. The devil is the one that says to us, you don't need to think. Just feel, just do whatever, or just go with the flow. Forget the whole go with the flow crap. Go with the flow ends up in freaking death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. J.C. Rao goes on, he says, Some, I dare say, will object that I am asking what is unreasonable, that youth is not the time of life when people ought to be grave and thoughtful. I answer... There is little danger of there being too much so in the present day. Foolish talking and kidding and joking and excessive amusement are only too common. I don't argue the fact that there's a time for all those things. But to be always flippant and always joking about things, that's unwise, J.C. Ryle says. What does the wisest of men say? It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 2 through 4. He goes on, he says, Matthew Henry tells a story of a great statesman in Queen Elizabeth's time who retired from public life in his latter days and gave himself up to serious thought. 
his former married companions came to visit him and told him that he was becoming somber. No, he replied, I am serious, for everyone around me is serious. God is serious and observing us. Christ is serious and interceding for us. The Spirit is serious and striving with us. The truths of God are serious. Our spiritual enemies are serious in their endeavors to ruin us. Poor lost sinners are serious when they're in hell. And why then should you and I not be serious too? Mm. Oh, young men, learn to be thoughtful. Learn to consider what you are doing, where you are going. Make time for calm reflection. Commune with your own heart and be still. Remember my caution. Do not be lost merely for the lack of thought, of thinking about your own life and where you're going. That's what he's saying. Number four, danger to young men is contempt of Christianity. Contempt of Christianity. This also is one of your special dangers. I always observe that none pay so little outward respect to Christianity as young men. None take so little part in our services when they are present at them, use Bibles so little, sing so little, listen to preaching so little. None are so generally absent at prayer meetings, Bible studies, and all other weekday helps to the soul. Young men seem to think they do not need these things. They may be good for women and old men, but they think it's not good for me. They appear ashamed of seeming to care about their souls. One would almost fancy they considered it a disgrace to go to heaven at all. And this is contempt of Christianity. It is the same spirit which made the young people of Bethel mock Elisha. And of this spirit, I say to all young men, beware. If it is worthwhile to be a Christian, it is worthwhile to be earnest about it. Uh, in other words, he's saying, if it is worthwhile to you to be saved, to get saved, to become a Christian, then it's worthwhile for you to be all in. Be all in. The Bible studies, the prayer meetings, singing, worship, accountability, small groups, be all in. Contempt of holy things is the straight road to hell. Once a man begins to make a joke of any part of Christianity, then I am never surprised to hear that he has turned out to be an unbeliever. Young men, have you really made up your minds to this? Have you clearly looked into the fires which are before you if you persist in despising Christianity? <laughs> wow. Call to mind the words of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1. The fool, and no one but the fool, has said it, but he has never proved it. Remember, if there ever was a book which has been proved true from beginning to end by every kind of evidence, that book is the Bible. It has defied the attacks of all enemies and fault finders. The word of the Lord is flawless, Psalm 1830. It has been tested in every way, and the more it has been tested, the more evidently has it been shown to be the very handiwork of God himself. What will you believe if you do not believe the Bible? There is no choice but to believe something ridiculous and absurd. Depend on it. No man is so grossly naive as the man who denies the Bible to be the word of God. And if it be the word of God, be careful that you don't despise it. Let me grab a sip of my coffee. Ryle is on fire. Men may tell you that there are difficulties in the Bible, things hard to understand. It would not be God's book if there were not those things. And what if there are? He's saying like, so what that there's things in the Bible that are difficult to understand? You don't despise medicines because you can't explain all that your doctor does with them. But whatever men may say, the things needed for salvation, those are clear as daylight. Be very sure of this. People never reject the Bible because they cannot understand it. They understand it too well. 
They understand that it condemns their own behavior. They understand that it witnesses against their own sins and summons them to judgment. They try to believe it is false and useless because they don't like to believe it is true. An evil lifestyle must always raise an objection to this book, the Bible. Men question the truth of Christianity because they hate the practice of it. <laughs> this goes exactly with what Jesus said. Um, you know, people hate the light because they love the darkness. They, they don't want to come to the light because they love darkness. They love their sin. You know, these people that want to say, man, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't believe the Bible. It's too hard to understand. There's too many deep things. And I don't know about this. And Ryle is saying like, well, you don't understand everything about the medicines that your doctor gives you, but you still take them, right? I mean, I don't understand everything about the Ford F-150 that I drive, but I still get in it and drive it. I don't understand everything, the way it works, the motors. I'm not a mechanic. There's a lot of things I don't understand, but I trust it. I believe it. I rely on it. People do that with the Bible. Why? Because the Bible, as Ryle says, dude, it, it calls out their sin. It tells them about future judgment that needs to come. It calls them to repent, turn away, get your life right. And they don't want to do that. And they don't want to do that. So that's the real reason they say, I got a problem with the Bible. Young men, when did God ever fail to keep his word? Never. What has... What he has said, he has always done. And what he has spoken, he has always made good. Did he fail to keep his word at the flood? No. Did he fail with Sodom and Gomorrah? No. Did he fail with unbelieving Jerusalem? No. Has he failed with the Jews up to this very hour? No. He has never failed to fulfill his word. Take care, lest you be found among those who despise God's word. Never laugh at Christianity. Never make a joke of sacred things. Never mock those who are serious and earnest about their souls. The time may come when you will count those happy whom you laughed at. A time when your laughter will be turned into sorrow and your mockery into seriousness. What a warning. Man, let me grab a sip here. Number five danger to young men that he says to look out for is the fear of man's opinion. This is the last one. We'll wrap it up. The fear of man. The fear of man will indeed prove to be a snare. Proverbs 29, 25. It is terrible to observe the power which it has over most minds and especially over the minds of the young. Few seem to have any opinions of their own or to think for themselves like dead fish they go with the stream and tide. What others think is right, they think is right. And what others call wrong, they call wrong too. They are not, there are not many original thinkers in the world. Most men are like sheep. They follow a leader. If it was the fashion of the day to be Roman Catholics, they would be Roman Catholics. If it was to be Islamic, they would be Islamic. They dread the idea of going against the current of the times. In a word, the opinion of the day becomes their religion, their creed, their Bible, their God. The opinion of the day becomes their religion. It becomes their creed, their Bible, their God. That is so good. Man, we see this. What's the hip, cool, popular thing to believe right now? That's what most young men are going to believe. That's what they're going to do. They're going to go with the flow. They're not original thinkers. They're, they're not true rebels that will stand against the tide. They're not. They go with the flow. And who does Ryle says go with the flow? Goes, goes with the flow? A dead fish. A dead fish goes with the flow. A living fish, you think a salmon, you know, they swim upstream. They go against it. That's what we're called to be. Ryle goes on, he says, the thought... What will my friends say or think of me? That nips many a good inclination in the bud. The fear of being looked at, laughed at, ridiculed prevents many a good habit from being taken up. 
What will my friends say or think of me? He's saying this is the you're, what you fear is man's opinion. You're more worried about what people think of you than what God thinks of you. You're more concerned about their view, their opinion of you, their acceptance of you than God's. Don't be like that. He's warning you. There are Bibles that would be read this very day if the owners dared. They know they ought to read them, but they are afraid. What will people say? There are knees that would be bent in prayer this very night, but the fear of man forbids it. What would my wife, my brother, my friend, my companions say if they saw me praying? Oh, what wretched slavery this is, and yet how common. That's good. He's saying that the fear of man, worrying about what other people think, you're, it, it's slavery. It, it's so, it controls you. You're shackled by it. Do you really want to be shackled by that? Is that what you want? Man up. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave into them, said Saul to Samuel. And so violated the Lord's command. 1 Samuel 15, 24. I was afraid of the people. And so I gave in to them. I did what they wanted rather than what God said to do. I am afraid of the Jews, said Zedekiah, the graceless king of Judah. And so he disobeyed the advice which Jeremiah gave him. Jeremiah 38, 19. Herod was afraid of what his guests would think of him. So he did that which made him, quote unquote, greatly distressed. He beheaded John the Baptist. Pilate feared offending the Jews. So he did that which he knew in his conscience was unjust. He delivered up Jesus to be crucified. If this is not slavery, what is? Mm. It's all just examples of people throughout history who have made horrible decisions because they feared what people think of them. They feared like the mob. They wanted to be, you know, politically correct. They wanted to be in, cool, accepted. You know, you're down with me, right? Young men, I want you all to be free from this bondage. I want each of you to care nothing about man's opinion when the path of duty is clear. Believe me, it's a great thing to be able to say no. It's a great thing to be able to say no. Here was good King Jehoshaphat's weak point. He was too easy and yielding in his dealings with Ahab and therefore caused many of his troubles. 1 Kings 22.4 Learn to say no. Learn to say no. Don't let the fear of not seeming good-natured make you unable to do it. When sinners entice you, be able to say decidedly, I will not give in to them. Proverbs 1 verse 10. Consider how unreasonable this fear of man is, how short-lived is man's hostility, and how little harm he can do to you. Who are you that you fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And how thankless is this fear. No one will really think better of you for it. The world always respects those the most who act boldly for God. Oh, break these bonds, cast these chains from you. Never be ashamed of letting men see that you want to go to heaven. Do not think it a disgrace to show that you are a servant of God. Never be afraid of doing what is right. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. Try only to please God and he will soon make others pleased with you. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Proverbs 16, 7. Young men, be of good courage. Don't worry what the world says or thinks. You will not always be with the world. Can man save your soul? No. 
Will man be your judge in the great and dreadful day of judgment? No. Can man give you good conscience in this life, a good hope in death, a good answer in the morning of resurrection? No, no, no. Can man do nothing of the sort? Then do not fear the reproach of men or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment. The worm will devour them like wool. Isaiah 51, 7 and 8. Call to mind the saying of uh, Gardiner. I don't know who Gardiner is. I guess he's another commentary. Call to mind his saying, I fear God and therefore I have no one else to fear. I like it. I like Gardiner. (laughs) I fear God and therefore I have no one else to fear. I think of the apostles like in the book of Acts where they're just like, you know, um, we ought to obey God rather than man. There's a time to even resist and disobey what the government may even tell us to do when it contradicts what God tells us to do. There is a time for civil disobedience when what, you know, the government is saying contradicts what God tells us to do. Our first loyalty, our first allegiance must be to God in his word. That's what we must do. Do not fear man. Do not fear government. Fear God. This is me talking, not J.C. Ryle. Last thing J.C. Ryle says, such are the warnings I give you. Take them to heart. They are worth thinking about. I am greatly mistaken if they are not greatly needed. The Lord grant that they have not been given to you in vain. So, That's good stuff, man. Thoughts for young men from J.C. Rowell. I'll put a link in the show notes. This is part two. He goes over five dangers. One is uh, one of the first danger was the danger of pride that we talked about. The next one was the danger of the love of pleasure. And then there's the danger of thoughtlessness. Then there's the danger of having contempt for Christianity. And then number five, the last one was the danger of fearing man's opinion, fearing man's opinion. Hey guys, stay tuned for a couple closing items of Grizz Biz. Let's wrap it up. Hey, if you want to ever contact the Grizz, I'd love to hear from you. My contact info is in the show notes. My email is jason at narrowtrail, jason at narrowtrail.com. My social media handle is Grizz Podcast, G-R-I-Z Podcast, Grizz Podcast. You can find me on Facebook, um, also Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, uh, and more. If you like this show, please leave us a quick rating and review wherever you listen. Hit that subscribe button. You'll be notified every time a new episode drops. Share this episode with a friend or your men's group. Seriously, right now. Why don't you uh, just take your phone where it says, you know, leave a rating and review. Give us five stars. Give us a sentence or two of uh, how this podcast helps you. If you're interested in joining one of our online climb teams to help you overcome your struggle with porn, lust, and to grow in Christ-likeness with other brothers, then go to narrowtrail.com, learn more, fill out the short online application. We have some open spots in two of our groups. Let 2024 be the year you bring your secret sin to the light and learn how to overcome it. It's been holding you back long enough. Again, don't forget about Covenant Eyes. Go sign up for that at covenanteyes.com. And at checkout, use the promo code GRIZZIN, G-R-I-Z-Z-I-N. Get your first month completely free. Also, would you guys who are listeners on a regular basis consider becoming a monthly supporter of the Grizz podcast for as little as $10 or $25 a month? That'd be a big blessing. What we do here is is free. We give it away. We're a nonprofit ministry, but it does cost money to do what we do. 
and we rely on the faithful prayers and support of listeners just like you. So go to our website, narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com, click on our give page, and you can set up that monthly donation. I promise it is quick, it's easy, it's safe, it's secure. And again, it's a big blessing. I really appreciate you guys that give every single month. It helps. That's it. Thanks for listening, my brothers. Hope to be back at you soon with another epic episode. Until then, honor God, live manly. Grizz is out. Do